Right. Gambling addiction is not a failure of will. It is a brain disorder which is preyed upon by the gambling industry. Once you become addicted, it's very, very hard to stop because you have turned, you've changed your brain. Addiction is a, is a brain that has changed to become entrained to the desires of the, of the gambling. Welcome to episode 33 of Blethered. I'm Sean McDonald, and in this episode, James Maguire talks to me about gambling addiction. We start this one off by getting an idea of who James is and what his life and background was like. He became a producer at Capital FM and life was seemingly great, but he was secretly battling an addiction to gambling that was way out of control. As is always the case, this episode has got some serious dark points, but we still managed to get a right good laugh. We get into the gambling chat further into it, but the importance of the beginning is to highlight how normal life can seem for somebody while they're being seriously tormented within. James talks about his life and then how he started gambling and how the disease impacted him in his daily happiness, affecting every corner of his existence. We talk about the financial debt that came as a result of the gambling and how it turned his life upside down, with stress increased by the fact that he had to conceal everything from his friends and family. Debt induces unimaginable stress and I explain in real serious detail in this episode the legally binding and protected solutions that are available to you if you're in this position. Please listen out for it, debt is fixable, debt is manageable and the Scottish and UK governments have multiple solutions in place to make sure that you don't lose all your money every month. You can go to www.moneyadvicescotland.org.uk or www.moneyadviceservice.org.uk These are free and impartial services where you can speak to real people, I think on the phone or through online chat. If you're stressed out your nut because you owe all sorts out every month, this episode literally contains the solutions to that problem. It's fixable. Don't let that make you do anything stupid. Speaking of assistance, James also talks about Gamblers Anonymous and what the group did for him. They're a top bunch of lads, by the way, and if you're struggling with gambling, seriously, Google Gamblers Anonymous and have a look on their website and take it from there. James speaks brilliantly and honestly here. You'll hear how much of a top guy he is. I love him to bits. I enjoy his company and life's all the better for knowing him. You can't buy characters like him. A total legend and I think you'll hear that through this chat. He's got a massive heart. He's a great laugh. Completely down to earth. And a lot of people will owe him a lot of thanks for him telling this story. As always, the conversation around this episode and the subjects discussed will be continued over on FlickChat. Flickchat is a free app and I've got a group on it and there's a lot of people on there talking about everything we discuss on Blethered plus some good parts from some good people. It's helped a lot of people, let it help you if you need it. Just download Flickchat on your phone and search Blethered or else check my Twitter for the link. If 
you're too lazy for that, give me a shout and I'll send you the link directly. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to share it either on social media or by sending it directly to somebody who you think might benefit from hearing it. Cheers, lads. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blethered. Hope you enjoyed that intro and I am joined by James Maguire. James, how are you? I'm good, mate. How are you doing? In fact, I'm not good. I, I texted you like, what, yeah. three hours ago, uh, going, mate, I'm bust completely. And you see me at the weekend when I was at my height of drunkness. Yeah. And I had to clarify and say, but not because I was drinking last night. <laughs> <laughs> I had a day at work. Um, but I've had a few coffees since then, so I'm, I'm kind of, I'm feeling up now. That's all right. It's a Monday. It's grey. We're sitting here in the Capital FM studio. I'm in Gary Spence's chair. It's comfortable. That's all I'll say. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, he tried to steal my phone. I know. He's like that, mate. But I wouldn't fuck with his chair. Even. I'm going to change, should we like mess about it or replace it with another one and see if he notices? He will. Uh, so, as I've explained in the intro to the people listening, we're here to discuss, a wee, get a wee sort of insight into your life, but we're going to talk about gambling addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something I spoke about before with Connor Frio and we kind of touched upon it, I felt. Um, and as time has gone by and as I've become more capable, I feel as if it's something I should go into more. Throughout this we'll get a laugh I'm sure, it might be a bit brutal listening, but towards the end of it we're going to reach what is, as happens with all these episodes, a, a good resolution, a brighter note as such. Um, I'm, I've got a lot of questions as well because I don't gamble, see when I go into like, the bookies, which is rare, I'll maybe put like, I'm only ever there because my pal's in, and I'll stick £2 in roulette and then I'll win 7 and I'm fucking buzzing and I go and cash it out, or I'll, if I ever write a coupon it, I walk up the street away, I go, oh, I, I think I might, I, like, I start getting my excuses in early for why. Because <laughs> you look at it and you're like, what the fuck's this? Like, and, like, you forgot to put this in or that. And I'm like, oh, oh sorry, the phone went and I didn't realise. So I've got a lot of questions um, as well that, that I'll ask. Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because what you're describing there is just a normal person gambling. Mm-hmm. Um, walking up and getting a buzz out of putting a cutting in because you're, and it's a shared experience with your mates. Aye. So you're, you're going up and you're going, right, we'll put this one on. And, you know, you're not go, you're not doing it with a desired interest of winning a massive amount of money because you know that they, there's an impossibility there. Yeah. You're, you're probably just going, ah, I can watch a football every day, get a buzz with my mates and that'll be that. Or if I stick £2 in the roulette machine, I'm not going to sit there for hours try to win back that £2 or when it was uh, your stake. You know? That's it. Like my experience would be to make a game a wee bit interesting. Like I'll put 50 pence on a certain amount of corners or I'll put like I, I remember it, like I put like a fiver into Bet365 about two years ago and I got it up to £40 and cashed it out and I was absolutely over the moon because I was putting on wee bets and it took me ages and it was more, it wasn't for the money, it was just, this will be quite interesting, it'll make me a wee bit more engaged in, in this, this game that's happening. And that's that's what I would describe as a good gambler. Aye. Um, and I'd, you know, I, I say that, I, I caveat that saying I don't believe there is a, a, any good in gambling, but mm-hmm. that's what I would describe as a good gambler, somebody that can do it for a little bit of thrill, a little bit of interest, but it doesn't dominate their mindset. I've got, before we kind of get into your personal story, I've got a couple of quest- points I would like to throw out and see if you agree. So I've got a pal, and he gambles quite a lot, and I said to him the other day that coming from a working class scheme background, um, I feel as if he sees gambling as a way to win big to improve his lifestyle and I'm sure there's some statistic like lottery tickets are 
the highest by like hundreds of percent or their highest sales come for working class areas or like quote unquote poor or deprived areas mm-hmm. scratch cards you know all these kind of things where people being like if I just put £20 on, on, on a sure thing then I'll get 60 and it'll kind of alleviate stress do you think people gamble because there is we'll look at the compulsion that people have in terms of the addiction where they get the thrill from placing the bet but do you think a lot of people do it and then get stuck in the rut because they're trying to supplement their income they're trying to improve their life do you think that is a thing or am I just reaching at that there's definitely a facet of that and I'll touch on why I did it Um, but it's no coincidence that there's more bookies in deprived areas than there is in the west end of Glasgow Mm -hmm. you walk down Byers Road and you'd be lucky to find one but you walk through Springburn Road or just down next to the shopping centre and you fucking can't walk past without tripping over one Um, so there's definitely an element of your upbringing and where you grew up the land you in a bookies and then where you end up I reckon and your job and your financial situation or your happiness in yourself and your life where you find an escape in the bookies and it's not just financial it is escape from your problems Mm because people can spend like 8 hours in there Um, and I would say that personally I never gambled in a bookies but I I have heard a lot of people share their experience um, in meetings before but you escape from your problems for eight hours and of course you're thinking about winning a big amount of money to um you know finance every dream that you have but a lot of the time you're just trying to run away for yourself mm-hmm. and that can come from deprived areas but i've also seen people with affluence and meetings and shared conversations with them where they found themselves in that exact same place through mm-hmm. other uh, mental health reasons so we'll look at your personal foray into gambling you didn't always gamble first of all tell us just a wee bit about as much as you'd like to about your early life you know what upbringing that sort of thing just to get an idea who you are I well I grew up in Springburn for the first six years of my life and then you know we we as a family we didn't have much you know Mm. I I didn't come from a a real high class background or anything just kind of working class scheme as you like um, then we moved to Ballonock and it's kind of just typical of anyone growing up in a scheme really you know mm. we didn't have hundreds but we had enough had great Christmases had great birthdays you know uh, good family life um, normal life that a lot of us had eh? pretty much pretty much you're exposed to a lot of things when you grow up in a scheme a lot of criminal elements there's paths you could go down but you know I, uh, I didn't really I didn't really do that I didn't play football or anything I was more into hip hop mm-hmm. you know that was my uh, escape that's what I wanted to you know that's my dream I wanted to be a hip hop artist and I ended up in a hip hop group when I was 17 and I think one of the one of the main things that led me to not understanding where I ended up when I was in gambling is I was never an archetypal lad that you know had that shared football experience where Aye. it came to putting bets on I never really understood them because my world was completely different I was hanging about Buchanan Stairs in the middle of town um, with uh, a lot of people from uh, diverse backgrounds refugees you know and I was kind of immersing myself in that world um, and I was wanting to be a rap artist and did you know we actually we did quite well for a wee while my, my band and did you know end up touring across we did a gig in Berlin a few gigs in Berlin and we did some stuff down south and played Glasgow Green um, played you know the O2 ABC when it was there a lot of venues in Glasgow played a few festivals and that so um, 
you know, it was kind of, I just a normal upbringing, but with a, a weird kind of sidestep in the hip hop world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after, me, during that, I kind of, I was in and out of colleges, in and out of colleges for a few years, um, trying to figure out what I, what I would want to do. I was speaking to somebody, I don't know if it was yourself or someone else recently. Um, I say that because we're out of the weekend, so I don't want to mm-hmm. exclude you from the conversation in case it was <laughs> you. Um, but they said that what they do in countries in Europe is they don't go straight to university. They allow the person to work like it's not cultural to go university, uh, university straight away. They go out and they let people work for a few years and then they go to university when it's 22, 23 years mm-hmm. old. Um, and at that time I thought I had to jump into college. I had to try all these different things and, um, become educated and become the person I am, which didn't really land me, um, didn't really land me in the right place. Um, until, you know, a family situation that I won't go into was happening at the time and mm-hmm. literally just fucking a week after a college course has started, I jump on the uh, city of Glasgow, it was called Metropolitan College um, at the time, I just jump on their website and apply for a radio course because I'm like, I want to do something creative, this sounds interesting and luckily for me, a guy dropped out and when that guy dropped out, I got the place and I, I fucking loved it. I loved it. It was, it was kind of, you know, that way where you put yourself in a comfy pair of shoes and you're like, these are my shoes. Yeah. You know, this, this was my course. And for two years, I just fucking, I lived and breathed the radio. That was my thing. I'd left hip hop behind. You know, we'd had a great uh, run at it, but it was time to, you know, after a few fights, some fist fights and that as well. Um, I decided to, and I'm missing a lot of the childhood stuff out there. That's all right. We're, we're, we're kind of getting to the adult point anyway. Exactly, so. exactly. Try to paint that picture. So I went to went to college, and then I remember. I always remember there was one guy that came into my college, and uh, XFM had just finished, and Galaxy FM was just launching. Woof. And then did it not then become Beat 106 after Galaxy? No, Beat 106 was the first incarnation of the right. 106 license, and then. Beat 106 did tremendous numbers back right. in the day, um, but the problem was it's very hard commercially to sell a dance station, mm-hmm. you know, especially stations are very difficult, as XFM found out, because rock stations are also very difficult, mm-hmm. and your numbers tend to dwindle, um, so a lot of people got laid off in radio, just as I was starting to study it, you mm-hmm. know, you went from full programming to basically network programming and limited hours uh, locally, so this guy came in, and he'd just, he'd been promoted, you know, to a big job but he'd also remembered the halcyon days where it was full fucking programming schedule uh-huh. and he came in he gave a great talk and then he went but you know there's no point there's no jobs in radio <laughs> I always remember that <laughs> but he was the only guy that I messaged about radio after it I went I know you said there's no jobs in radio but is there a street team is there a promotions team that I can get involved in and he put me on to someone and that's how I got my start working in commercial radio right. um, I always remember that because he told me there's no jobs but he's the guy that got me a fucking job so I was just clearly pissed off at that time <laughs> Um, and then from there, just went to university and uh, did media. I decided I didn't want to uh, specialise in radio because there's a course down the west of Scotland. I decided I needed to uh, expand my horizons because media is a big platform and radio, you know, is kind of shrinking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I went there, I ran the student radio station, I did my degree, belly out of class, you know, it's fucking one of those ones where you could get someone's notes and go out and get pushed the, the night before a lecture and not turn up and stuff um, and I remember my second year I became radio station manager of uh, Glasgow Caledonian 
and I was working here. I'd just been promoted as we moved into Capital FM to running the marketing street team. And I was doing the uni course as well. And trying to balance the free them out was fucking chaotic, man. Mm. So it was successful though. It was my first real taste of doing well in a job in here mm-hmm. when I was running the marketing team and doing well as a station and barely scraping by, but trying to balance them. I remember going to 24 hour lab once to bang out an essay, coming in here, working in the morning for five hours and then going out and interviewing I think it was Willie Bain at the time, my North Glasgow MP. Aye. Aye. And I was just shattered, mate. I couldn't, couldn't hold it all together. Um, and through that, I, I was lucky enough to be presented with an opportunity in January 2013, um, or December 2013 to produce the Capital FM Breakfast Show, which was a flagship show across the, the country. Um, but I'd Six never- years ago. Did you say 13 now? 2013, uh-huh. yeah, at the start of 2013. So six and a half years ago. So yeah. you're obviously a lot, not that you're old by any means, but you were particularly young for that type of role. Yeah, I would say I was 27 at that time. Um, and it wasn't my desire to produce a breakfast show. You know, there's not a manual that says here's how to become a producer. So there's a lot of learning curves, but um, you know that way where someone tells you you can do it mm-hmm. and the job's big enough that you go, I want to prove that I can, you know, this is the next step. Not many people will get the opportunity to, um, you know, become a breakfast producer in Scotland. In my time, uh, you know, that when I did it, before the breakfast show uh, started broadcasting from London, I'm maybe seen three other producers in central Scotland get a gig mm-hmm. across, you know, across the central belt. That's um, quite, it's a massive... Yeah, so it's a big deal. Um, but with that, came a bit of pressure, man. That mm-hmm. was, I remember moving into that job and having a bit of imposter syndrome. You know, there was Aye. a former breakfast producer, um, was a presenter at the time and she, she'd been a presenter for a few years, but she'd done, you know, producing. So you already felt you were under a microscope. There's someone that did that job before you. Mm-hmm. Guy in front of Mike had been doing the breakfast show for a number of years as well. And there's, there's no set manual of how to do it. You're learning on the job. Did you feel like they were sort of, looking at you did you have like as if you've got a sort of expectation that you're either going to fuck up or you better prove yourself that you're worthy of being here because as you say they've got that experience so they're expecting you to come in and hit the ground running and uh, I'd, I'd say they were fairly supportive but it's a right. high pressure environment Aye. and when yeah, you know, and I don't, I don't like this, uh, looking at life through a, a class system glass, but when you're from a lower class background, you already feel like you don't deserve <laughs> to yeah. be in a position oh, that, you. you know, is of prominence. So you feel like you've got something to prove, but at the same time, you feel like you're no good enough. Do you think like your perception of your place in the world in terms of that class system has gone on to serve you, although it might have gave you a bit of a headache but has it made you work harder you know prove yourself even more because you're saying you're doing those three things you know at the one time anybody else would be like no hold on a minute like I can't take this on were you just taking everything in order to prove yourself oh aye I mean that was uh, that was the main thing I remember actually the night before I went to and to show you that in action the night before I became Radio Cali station manager that's Glasgow Caledonians radio station I Got drunk, text the girl who nominated me for it, and because it was a popularity contest, uh, leadership race, so to speak, and I texted her and I said, I don't think I can do this, just can you withdraw me from the race, I really don't think it's for me, um, I'm not capable, 
blah 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 and that's just the way my head was going it was reaching for the negatives saying I couldn't do this even though the guy I was going up against I knew didn't have any radio experience mm-hmm. he hadn't studied radio at college he wasn't working at a radio station where he was getting to produce shows where he was running a marketing team and getting a real you know apprenticeship and what it takes and I still felt inferior to this guy mm-hmm. like I was incapable luckily for me she pulled me back and I ended up doing the um, job and it helped my confidence massively mm-hmm. but definitely it can poison my mind at times it can still poison my mind at times where I'm like shit I'm not good enough to be here I've done this job for fucking six years man I've, I've been running you know shows all over Scotland for six years but I can still walk into work and think oh, these, these people are looking at me like I'm not good enough Aye. how do you overcome that hurdle because you would think logic would dictate that after doing the job so well um, and for such a long period of time that you'd eventually overcome that you know, is it something that you just need to manage yourself? Is it? I don't know, mate. It's. I think there needs to be a balance, and you know, your boss needs to support you. Your boss needs to notice mm-hmm. when you need a bit of praise, need a bit of guidance, um, and you also need to take some time to reflect yourself. Like, you know, and I don't do that enough. And um, when you you sit back and you analyse your life and you analyse even your day or your week you realise how many positives you fucking you've given um, and your role like today I smashed out so much mm-hmm. but at no point will I sit down tonight probably and go I did a really good job today mm-hmm. you're always thinking about how next to prove yourself especially in a breakfast show you've got four hours of intense <laughs> intense content and mm-hmm. then you need to produce four more hours so you're not looking back at all the good shit that you did that day you're going what Aye. good shit do I need to produce for the next day and the next day how do I implement this every single day I feel like it's a component of success in any capacity in life to always be looking ahead you know what's done is done that's good don't dwell on it and it is a, it is a you know it's a good attribute to have to constantly be looking forward and to see what more can be done and what better things you can do and, and what's still to come but I suppose you need to look back at what you've done or at least just be aware of where you are and I feel like a lot of people's issues or problems or vices in life come to the fore when they can't they don't realise you know how how good they are or how how worthy they are or how much they contribute either to people or to their job or whatever because you're saying that you'll go up the road and you won't at any point uh, think what a good job you did and you'll come in tomorrow and you might go ah these people are looking at me and therein lies this wee niggling wee voice of self doubt of inferiority which in reality is quite far removed from what the uh, the reality is I suppose yeah you're poisoning yourself that's Aye. that's basically you're slowly poisoning yourself and and, and that's the truth I, I don't know how to overcome that uh, I, well, mm. I do I do uh, know how to overcome it it's uh, it's not reinforcing the negative, it's reinforcing the positive. I just mm-hmm. don't know how they put that into action every single day. We were talking recently to, and you had him on the podcast as well, uh, a guy called Loki. Yeah. You know, he understands every component of his negative mind mm-hmm. and what takes him to the uh, dark places that he goes to. But he says, I just don't have the commitment at times to stop that happening. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to walk down that dark path into a bad place, even though you know what would take uh, what it would take to send you down a positive path yeah it's fucking it's tiresome trying to continue that keep up like going to the gym eating right 
um, taking walks, you know, speaking to people. And that's a big thing as well. Even just having a conversation with someone instead of isolating yourself mm-hmm. in a digital space and making it seem like you're making connections when you're not actually making human connections. So it's an interesting point. You see, I, w- I watched the, the Great Hack on Netflix. Have you seen it? Not seen it yet. No. So it's basically the whole Cambridge Analytica thing and how they're mining data in order to then predict your behaviours and then influence you in terms of voting and stuff. Really fascinating, and it's it's another debate for another time, man, or another conversation because I'll end up smashing the place <laughs> up, mate. See those Cambridge Analytica people. They should get what Mussolini got when he was hung by his ankles. I swear to God, it is horrendous. Like, it's not surprising. Like, I'm not surprised at all. But it's still shocking. Are they just carving out personalities for people? No, so you know all these things that was like, um, which Disney character are you? Like, personality test. And then what they would do is find out how best to influence you through social media targeted advertising. And it shows how they're... Basically, nobody's living in reality anymore because we all live in this digital space. And this is kind of the point I'll come on to, which is very relevant to what we've just talked about there. But everybody's living in this digital space, which is their own perceived reality and what you're seeing through videos that come up, for example if the Trump campaign or the Brexit campaign was targeting you they would basically work out through your personality test that you'd taken years back and all your Facebook information which they can can get it even if you didn't take it but someone in your friends list took it, they then can get access to you and they can find out what your likes are, what your dislikes are, what kind of things are you reacting to and they then will show you videos. So for example they'll show you some bullshit completely falsified video or full of false information with regards to European immigration in order to sway you to vote in Brexit and they said that um, Brexit was the uh, the Petri dish, the little tester for mm-hmm. the Trump campaign, which is mental and there's this woman who's claiming she's, she's not claiming she has all sorts of evidence that it was completely illegal and that they should be null and void, blah 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 but it got me thinking and it's saying that you know we've never been so connected you know, you can you can have any information, any answer to any question. You can speak to anybody at any point in the world, face to face, on FaceTime, or you can text each other. But we've never been so disconnected as you just say because you're interacting, but you're not getting the actual endorphins of of what you get when you have a laugh with somebody, mm-hmm. or you give somebody a hug, or when you're looking face to face with somebody, and you actually laugh. LOL is the biggest. Fucking most fraudulent used oh, uh, term on the internet. Yeah, all right, ha 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 ha, and I've probably went like to something like a wee exhaled slightly heavier through my nose than I would. It's bullshit, man. It's bullshit. And there's that, and I think that then like so you compare you you combine that. Sorry that weird reality where you're speaking to everybody but you're not actually speaking to anybody and you can't work out why you feel shite because I'm talking to people all the time and this guy got so many likes on my picture and it's like well aye but fuck, go for a beer with your mate and give him a hug or something like go for a walk aye, man, like, aye. do something in, in the real life in pa- the real pa- world a fucking dog aye aye give a dog a wee hug I always give dog hugs, dogs <laughs> hugs um, and it, you saying that there so there's that element and then there's that wee seed of self doubt within yourself uh, and you don't know how to how to combat it. You don't know how to process it. You don't really know what it comes for. And then we start to try and just silence it for a while with something, whether it's getting absolutely on it on a Tuesday, like going out and getting two grams, two grams of coke, and all sorts of booze, and then you're on it for ages, and then you can't work out why you feel shite again Friday. So uh, I'll feel better if I go out with my pals again. Um, you know, some people see for me, see the past three weeks, I've put on weight. Like, that might sound ridiculous. Oh, that's, a, that's a big deal for you, mate. Aye, but uh, that might sound ridiculous. 
but I'm like I felt shit and I've kind of turned to like oh, I always get a Chinese and I always get a McDonald's I always get a chippy when I say I put on weight right it'll take me about two weeks to get back to quote unquote normal but I understand that like we're all shutting things off or whether it's boozing or whether it's gambling mm. and for years it was gambling this way like this sort of escapism you said you can go in to a shop for eight hours maybe you'd sit in an app for hours like yeah yeah I so I'll, I'll touch on that then what happened because it was kind of around that 2013 mark um, mm-hmm. and I'll say this I had never before 2013 been in a bookies and placed a bet. Mm-hmm. Like my dad had probably placed grand national bets for me, Aye. and I now understand that gambling is entered in competitions and all that as well. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot there's a lot of variations to gambling, but for me, straight down the line, is that young boy for the scheme looking at this deprived area and a lot of and it was predominantly guys. I know now there's a lot of women that gamble as well, but the archetypal person you looked at when you were younger is just this old guy stumbling at the bookies or stumbling mm-hmm. at the bookies and. You know, they don't look happy and I thought yeah. I was angry at the fact that I grew up I, I was in a scheme where they were just leeching money off people I didn't see it it's as like fucking, a tax isn't it exactly exactly for you to live here you're going to have to spend your wages in the bookies right. you know? so I never gambled mate and I remember I vehemently said to so many people that's a lot of shit get that to fuck and that's no for me you know don't gamble it's stupid and then in 2013 I get this job we're doing some content around, um, that was actually two incidents, right? We're doing some content around the Grand National. And I remember after it, the Friday, we fucking, it was during the horse meat scandal, we ended up throwing burgers to predict the winner of the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the Grand National. And I was feeling good. It was a good week. And then me and my girlfriend went to Paddy Power to place a bet, right? right? And I remember, and I look back, and my Facebook's now deleted. I've got another one, but I remember looking back. Uh, maybe about a year ago after I'd stopped gambling and it was a Facebook memory and I was like oh fuck it's all downhill from here and it was my betting slip oh, right. from that day and I was like fuck me that wrong true didn't it right. and it was it was just a cheap wee fucking bet nothing um, nothing mental but then I remember I always wanted to get to a certain amount of money I'd started saving right and I was, I'm, and I'll, I'll put monetary terms in there. I was, I had about six grand in the bank and I wanted 10 grand, right? So I was, remember being in the, the student library and one of the guys showed us his bank account and it said 10 grand in it. I was like, what the fuck's he doing with 10 grand? Aye. So it kind of motivated me to get there. And I remember being in a, I'm, I'm jumping from place to place here, but I remember being at McDonald's in London and I was going down to Leicester Square to do an induction. Um, a global radio studio it's fucking beautiful you know awe-inspiring if you want to work in radio it's the the, one of the biggest hubs uh, other than the Bower one that's down in one golden square Um, but I remember sitting in a McDonald's and I don't know anything about you know gambling I'm like completely removed from any science when it comes to football as well I like Celtic Mm -hmm. um, and I probably know a wee bit more about it now but back then I'd kind of been completely out of the loop knew a wee bit about tennis because of Andy Murray and I knew a wee bit about boxing but this guy next to me was talking to his mate and he was talking about a free bet for Sky Mm. and he was like yeah blood you know I turned 20 pounds into 100 and like 
I'm not, I'm not bringing, we're bringing potential racism and xenophobia I'm joking, <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no keep, keep doing it I need you to keep doing it because I'm shutting my eyes right and I'm just trying to picture them right, do you know what I was saying that again. was the extent of my accents I, I can do an all Irish one as well but that's terrible let's just say it was for Belfast and he's telling us <laughs> but that that struck a chord with me because I don't know when you got your first job yeah how fucked were you when you looked at the tax? So you yeah. seen how much was getting taken off you? That really fucked with me. And man. I was only getting about £3.70 an hour, man. <laughs> I worked at JD. No, but your first Should salary it? job. Your first. Oh, right. Aye, aye, aye. Your first proper. Aye. aye so you, you, aye. you hear you're getting one number and then you look at it and you do the calculations and you yeah. realise how much money is getting taken off you. I was, I was pure bounce not to hate you. Like, yeah, that's a fucking mistake here, by the way. It's a farce. But you start thinking more. This is genuinely what I felt. I started thinking more about money when I was earning more money than before I was earning more money. Mm-hmm. And I could see, um, was getting up at 4am. I could see my full fucking life ahead of me. So what that guy said in the McDonald's in London, just sparked something in me and then I went home and I signed up for Skybet mm-hmm. put a tenor in it right and I don't know if it was beginner's luck or not I started just putting wee gambling bits on you know wee, uh, wee bets on and it was like ended up 14 quid 20 quid yeah. 25 quid and I'm like fuck this is easy I'm good at this this is easy I, this is easier than what I need to do to get up in the morning and I wasn't telling anyone. I think my girlfriend mm-hmm. leaned over at the time and she went, are you gambling? I was like, ah, it's just like tenor. It's stupid. I just want to see what it's like. And then I didn't tell her again because I'd started just moving my phone the way you can, you know, manoeuvre your phone so no one can see it. Mm-hmm. And I start betting, mate. And I start isolating myself when I'm betting. And when I'm up at four in the morning, I can bet on tennis halfway across the world. Mm-hmm. So I start sticking like, 20 quid on because if I can win 4 quid for one bet if I stick 20 quid on it'll be 8 quid Yeah. and then because I'm not an expert in gambling I start increasing the amounts of money that I'm betting um, and I start betting 50 quid I start betting 100 quid I start betting 200 quid mm-hmm. and some of them I'm winning some of them I'm losing but I'm getting up and down up and down up and down and I remember sitting in my bed one day and it was the worst feeling in the world because I put a thousand pounds because I, I, like fucking online gambling is different to I'd imagine in the bookies gambling because the currencies you're not holding it you're not holding money in your Aye. hands mm-hmm. you're just seeing just one number move from one place to another yeah. and I stuck Novak Djokovic versus Gregor Dimitrov I think they're from the same, I know they're from different countries next door, neighbours more or less, but I just remember fucking freaking the fuck out when I started seeing this guy beat Djokovic. Oh. I was, mate, I was sweating, I was fucking clawing at my bed, clawing at my hair, and I was like, what the fuck's happening? Why is this guy not beating him? I'm losing a thousand pounds here. And that should have been a wake-up call. See, the moment that ended, put down the laptop, started pacing around my room, I was still sweating. I was like, fuck, 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 fuck. That should have been a wake-up call. But it wasn't. And it's something that you learn. It's the short-term memory loss that comes from Mm -hmm. gambling. And I'm not recognising that I've got a problem at this point. This is still me like a month and a half in the door. Um, And whether I'm using it as an escapism at that point or um, trying to still get to that big target of 10 grand. Yeah. It was probably at that point where I started chasing it. Trying to recuperate that loss. Yeah, because 
in my head, I wanted to instantaneously recoup that £1,000. Mm-hmm. So what am I going to do to recoup that? I'm going to put a larger bet on. I'm going to put another £1,000 bet on something. And yeah. I don't specifically remember the the snowball effect that happened, but over the next two months, I think this was the March into like the June, I had taken all of my money out of my account. Right, I I think that I'd taken upwards of six grand out, and then I ended up my overdraft, and I was fucking sick, mate. I was sick to my stomach. This was the June. I was meant to be going on holiday to Portugal the following week, and I worked with my girlfriend at the time. She was downstairs, and I remember after putting on a bet, and I'm putting on bets in the studio, like because you can gamble anywhere online. Yeah. I'm in the studio with the guys, and I'm watching, um, I'm watching the the result, you know, the ball going back and forward or the wee guys moving, the players mm-hmm, moving yeah. in the in the virtual app. And I'm getting real distracted because my money's going up or it looks like I'm winning, I come back two minutes later and I'm like, where the fuck did all my money go? Because mm-hmm. the person lost. And I called my girlfriend up and I've still not told anyone about this. No one has any idea. The closest anyone's got to wondering what the fuck's happening was when I was almost on a winning streak again to get all the money back. Um, and I, it was Bayern Munich versus Dortmund in the Champions League final. I'm with my mates in the arc and I turn around and I go, thank fuck Bayern won this because that, mm. I had a like £500 bet on it and they were just looking at me like, what the fuck? Because I had no Aye. concept that that wasn't normal. Aye. But I wasn't sharing a conversation with them. I was like, nah, it's a free bet, don't worry. I've just built it up or whatever. So I called my girlfriend up and I had no idea what to say to her. I'm just like, listen, I've fucked this. I've, I've lost six grand on gambling. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, what? What? And we end up having a back and forth conversation. Bear in mind, I'm still in my fucking work at this time. And... Aye, that was probably one of the hardest conversations I'd had at that time. And she was like, right, don't worry, give me your bank card, we'll sort this out. I was like, nah, because I'm still stubborn. I'm mm-hmm. still stubborn. I'm like, nah, you won't have my bank card. I just needed to tell you I'm going to beat this. I need to um, I need to just let you know about it. And mm-hmm. I left it at that. But she was still aware, but she thought that that was me done. I'd opened mm-hmm. it up. And that was going to close this chapter and I was going to build myself back up from there. Um, I'd taken a couple of like, um, a couple of loans out as well during that period, mm-hmm. um, to try and supplement my income, which, you know, really, really fucked me financially for a while. I then told my brother about it who fucking shouted right down the phone at me and going, what the fuck are you doing? That's not what we do. We, we've seen, you're not one of those guys mm-hmm. that do that. And he kind of, he sent me right. But he gave me a lot of money. I went on holiday. I didn't gamble for a few months. I didn't seek help, which for anyone listening that can share in this experience, uh, or they're going through it just now, the worst thing that I did at that point was not seek help. Mm-hmm. One, I didn't give my girlfriend my bank card to say you controlled his finances. My pride was too much. And I didn't look out any support groups like Gamblers Anonymous. I didn't read any books. I didn't read any literature. I didn't go on any websites and try and find out more information. At that point, I just think that I had fucked up. I'd fucked up completely. But I was going to be fine because I'm a solid character. I've got a mm-hmm. good mind. I'm not going to uh, let this uh, get a hold of me again. Or so I thought. A few months later, it starts 
creeping back in again, the idea that I can recoup my money and get back to 10 grand. And I, so I start putting bets on again. I'm self-excluded from Skybet, but the wonderful thing about gambling is there's 900 websites that you can go on. Um, I'm not even using the free bonuses at this point. I'm just throwing fucking hundreds of pounds Mm -hmm. uh, in. Um, throwing, it's never, it's never, (laughs) it was never small bets, Sean. It was always, it was always sticking half my wages in when I got paid on a Friday. I'd, uh, I'd, not Friday, when I got paid on the 25th, I'd justify it saying, right, I'll win what I lost last month. And mm-hmm. um, I'm throwing £150 in the tennis, you know, £50 a game. Like, it got that, it got that fuck, fucked up that I'm gambling on games and tennis. Next point on the game, because mm-hmm. at this point, I need, I need the money straight away. You can't play the long game. It's not mm-hmm. the, the idea of an accumulator um, during those months and years was torturous to me because mm-hmm. I can't wait the ninety minutes to go through that accumulator. I need yeah. I need either the high or the money or the idea that I'm doing something positive and getting this money back. But it always ends up in a negative. It always ends up in me at that point trying to calculate. <laughs> I remember trying to calculate how much I could spend a day to live for a month and not make it seem like I'm, you know, living fucking like lower a, the bread like line. Like a frugal life. Exactly, exactly. Was, uh, was part of you doing it because you were trying to recuperate the money, but you mentioned the high there. Was part of it that you got this euphoric high? Did that also just sort of reinforce this loop of this is good, this is positive, I can win this in... The high feels so good that you said the memory's very short term and you're forgetting that low... I mean, how was that? Um, the high, I'd actually, I wrote this down earlier, there's no highs or lows that I've ever experienced in my life, such as gambling, you mm-hmm. know, when you did get that, that big win, you're walking to the kitchen all gallus and going, fuck it, this it, it's coming back, I'm mm-hmm. going to win. Like, and this is how um, powerful the disease of gambling is. You'll think that I'm not going to win 10 grand back, I'm going to win 500 grand, mm-hmm. I'm going to win and then, do you know what, I'm going to double that up and I'm going to win a million pounds and the high uh, is massive until you put that money on you lose it and then the low is fucking so so fucked up that it takes you to a point where you have to put the bet back on See, this is how I see that, or this is a I can, like an equivalent in my mind trying, losing 6 grand to a bookies and then betting to get it again, to win it back. That is like getting flung out of a club and you get your head kicked in by three massive bouncers, right? And you keep taking a run at them because you're determined to hospitalise one of them. Ah, you might give them a bloody mouth or you might break one of their noses, but you are getting your head kicked in every single time. And you might land a wee punch and be like, no, I'm here, I'm in. And then you square up to each other and boom, they just smash you again. Pretty much, man. That's a good metaphor. You're never beating, never ever beating them. There's, there's too many. They're never too beating the bookies. And you ever seen a skint bookie? Never. That's what you say. Never, man. Um, I, so I, I kind of did that for, and I don't know how I managed to survive um, because I never told anyone. No one knew, mate, for maybe another three uh, to four years. No one, no one knew. That's mental. Anything. That's a long time. But um, it, it keeps you up at night. And throughout this period, I'm pretty sure my girlfriend thought that I was just accruing all this wealth. And she used to always uh, make me jokes like, you know, you'll pay for it, bank balance and all that. Because I was getting, I was getting promotions through this period. And I was getting Aye. bonuses and. 
I, I should have been very uh, well off because yeah. you know we weren't paying much rent and um, you know our expenses weren't too much. So I I should have accrued a decent amount of money. But mm-hmm. in actual fact, all I was doing was decreasing uh, the value of my money, and I was accruing all sorts of debt. And for me, the biggest and I want to keep going back to this. I think it's important for anyone listening. Um, before I go into probably the darkest side to my story, um, biggest problem for me was isolating myself. I said to the other, I never went into a bookies. There was no sense of community in it for me. Aye. There was uh, no sense of perception of what a gambling addict is. So you're talking about, you know, that metaphor of getting punched by the bouncer. No one can see. You know, everyone that spoke yeah. to me would have just seen that I'm a, a normal guy, yeah. uh, happy, you know, outwardly. Um, even though I isolated myself at points from my friends and stuff, whenever I was with them, I was still this jolly guy. He's got a great job, you know, got a great uh, family, home life, and all that. You know, everything going well. You can only drink so much booze, and you can only drink, uh, take so much drugs, and eat so much food. Even as we're talking about, like you can get to a point and your body will physically pass out, but you can spend all your money on gambling in about five minutes, and no one will see you. Uh, there's no symptoms because if I, if you've been boozing. People will be able to tell, they'll be able to smell it, they'll be able to see it, you know, you'll have those physical things, but as you say, there's no actual um, physical outward signs that somebody's, somebody's doing that. And then, because of that, you manifest a monster in your head, mm-hmm. you're like, nah, no one will understand, I'm just this fucking disgusting person because all I'm doing is gambling, that's all I have, I'm just uh-huh. putting a bet on, bet after bet after bet. And this is my life now. And you really put yourself in a fucking horrible wee island. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to, hard to swim away from that. I, um, I made a point. The reason I'm bringing this up is because you said about having this battle just within your head. And I, I think I tweeted ages ago. Oh, I can't even remember what I said now, but it kind of went viral. And it's, when you say some things you're like that's touched a nerve with a lot of people and it's resonated with a lot of people and I've said something as well about oh fuck I can't remember what I said now but one thing I did say was um, it's it's an eye opener that as I walk through England I've not seen a single bookies but when I'm in Parkhead Cross or I'm in Shettleston or Deniston or anywhere else they're, they're, they're everywhere even in the city centre and it kind of created a big conversation and then loads of women started getting in touch and saying they did like stuff like Foxy Bingo and all that, like in slots, and they things are marketed as really harmless. And hey, look at this wee fuzzy character, gives your fucking money, I can't. And that she, one of the women who spoke to me, was like, "I'm chasing losses, and I'm trying to recuperate the money that I've lost in this." But she also called it psychological self harm. That she felt a real inferiority, and in, in, in that she wanted to punish herself in a way. Does that? Does that ring a bell with you in any way? Um, yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. You don't feel good enough. And like I said, you you feel like gambling's all you deserve. Mm-hmm. And by the end, um, by the end of gambling, um, and I'll tell the story fuller in a, a little while, but a lot of people try and gamble their way to self-destruction. Mm-hmm. You know, that psychological self-harm. Is, is so true you want to get to the point where you have nothing left emotionally physically and you know they call it the 20th question in gambling a lot of people gamble their way to suicide like see and we'll never know a lot of the time a lot of the people that 
go missing in Glasgow or Central yeah. Scotland, I I often think when their bodies are found and everyone's saying they showed no signs or we don't know what's wrong with them, I often think that they have a gambling problem. I, I, I sometimes wonder that as well. You know, because it's so easy to isolate that. And a lot of people do have mental health problems and are stigmatised still, but they it's maybe easier to openly talk about them now. So yeah. it might have been a depression, uh, it might have been depression or some other mental health illness. But for me, I always firstly think is that a gambling disease there, and they've just hit rock bottom. And yeah, what I think is the, with the and it's become such a buzzword, hasn't it? It's you know, Loki and I spoke about this. It's okay not to be okay. Speak up. Um, don't man up, speak up. These are great things, and it's great that societally we're taking these strides. However, we have to talk about the actual details. I do not, and I don't say this in an insensitive fashion. I do not, for a second, believe that all of a sudden there are just there is a widespread epidemic of um, chemical imbalances in brains. There is something, and a lot, and in a lot of cases, there will be. I accept that, and. It's not even that I'm pushing back and denying it or trying to be controversial or contrary. It's more that, nah, 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 come on, lads, there's something here, whether it's, and I talk about it loads, whether it's taking too much coke mm-hmm. and boozing too much or whether there's some other thing, some, there's some things which are circumstantial, which are pushing people into these things where they think, I can't escape this. There's no way, there is literally no escape and my life cannot continue. Therefore, I must end it. You know exactly what I mean by that. I mean, I'll, I'll let you kind of take from from there. But yeah, I I just don't believe that it's. Uh, I I was I was this person was depressed and they couldn't go on. Not not in every case. Yeah, and true. and see the more they see the the longer we go without addressing that, nothing's going to change. True, and I can only speak personally for myself in that regard and where I ended up. It's something I don't speak about too much, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, I'll always say when I know that someone else has experienced a suicide attempt, I'll, I'll always openly speak to them about it, but I never really talk about what happened. Yeah, um, and it's it's tough. It's tough to talk about because when you're when you're so far ahead from that place, and don't get me wrong, I'm still you know mad mental health issues in my own head sometimes. The, but I'm, I'm in a very good, happy place now. Um, but and back in, what we, 2017 it was then. It's 2017, I'm, I'm in a fucking horrible, horrible mind state. I, I don't know, I was still gambling. I reckon I was in a rhythm of gambling for years where I was quite happy to just blow my wages and wait till the next wage and do the same and live this little isolated lifestyle but not expecting my life to blow up I thought that I was just going to happily roll along like that for ages Mm -hmm. but in 2017 the switch kind of turned and I started to realise that I can't really keep going on like this. A secret's going to come out at some point and you can't live in fear of a secret coming out and that starts to build and then the financial pressures of life were uh, getting to me. As I'd uh, been approved for a credit card for, what, three and a half grand and I gambled the full three and a half grand on the credit card because I was using the credit card to wipe away other bits of debt that Mm -hmm. I accrued. Um... 
and as that starts to build up, you start to see your life as, you know, you start to see your debt as insurmountable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but because of the nature of the gambling disease and the addiction itself, the only solution in your head is to get more money, gamble more money. Yeah. Um, and then as soon as you lose that money, you try and get more. I remember breaking out in so many sweats and so many panic attacks. Living two different lives, I'm in, I'm in like, you know, my house trying to find the next place that would give me £500 so I can, one, survive, but one gamble as well. And I'm getting like three grand loans from Tesco. I'm getting, you know, £1,000 loans from obscure loan sites with crazy APRs and not giving a fuck. You really don't think about the consequence at that point. And I couldn't even tell you how many I got. All the panic that set in every time I looked at my bank because if you're gambling online and people that gamble online will notice you look at your bank online and the money doesn't come out straight away right. on your okay. numbers or the money doesn't go in straight away so you don't know where you're at you really see unless you really good with accountancy yeah. you don't know whether you're up or down or up or down and I remember thinking I had £500 one day still in my account I woke up the next day and there was nothing there and I just fucking blind panic but I'm getting texts of people and uh, my girlfriend and I'm putting smiley emojis at it. I'm in rock bottom. I'm walking past I'm walking past homeless people in the streets. You've given me a money in you. I'm thinking that I'm going to be homeless. This is what I've got in my head. I'm going, this, when this is all going to blow up and people are going to think I'm a monster and they're going to completely detach themselves from me, I'm going to end up out in the streets because mm. my mum and dad will disown me, even though they wouldn't. But this mm-hmm. is where you go. I'm going to be out. I'm not going to be living with my girlfriend anymore. My friends are all going to go, that's the reason why you've been a dick at points for the past few years. Just, you know, you're not a good person. Even though that's not the reality, that's what you tell yourself in your own head. Mm-hmm. And I ended up... Um, Ended up in so much debt that I just couldn't fucking find a way to rationalise living anymore. I remember it was coming up to my girlfriend's little sister's birthday, 18, right? I'd seen this wee lassie grow since she was 13, big part of my life. And I turned around to my girlfriend and I'm going, I'm not coming on holiday with you guys. Everyone else is going. I I make the excuse that I I don't want to go to Portugal again because we've been a few times Fuck. and I'm like I don't want to go and this coming from a guy who went to Wrestlemania three months ago and took out all sorts of loans to try and help pay it mm-hmm. um, and I don't even know why she just didn't tell me to fuck off at that point but she's I, very understanding yeah but she doesn't know anything Aye. at this point and I I I she goes away that week was she raging Probably I, but does she not show it? She's a really nice. So, yeah, uh, James's girlfriend Chloe is just a very nice person. Yeah, say, and I don't mean that in a sort of oh, that's all she is. I mean she's just very nice. So she, I can't imagine nice. her giving you a hard time. I think she she understood because I said, "Nah, listen, we'd been to Portugal. I'm sure." just shy of like six months before and I said listen I can't justify paying to go away and I've got this new guy starting at work as well I probably painted a good picture because you become a good liar as well when you're a gambling addict because you have to um, you have to kind of hide your feelings I remember this was the week right it was make or break for me and it was the week commencing like the 7th of June or something or the the 8th and I remember the last time I gambled so it was it was the 9th of June and I remember thinking, right, she's away. 
I don't have any money. I've got enough for a fiver a day. I've mm. used a credit card to get a weekly shop, right? So I'm sorted for food and I can use an X bike to cycle up and down uh, to the flat. And I've got five pounds per day to, to see me through. Just headbutted my mic there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, and five pounds, uh, uh, that's how angry you're getting at the gambling. <laughs> five pounds a day to see me through. I banned myself with fucking 90% of the uh, gambling websites out there. Yeah. Someone like obscure sites like Bet on Brazil, fucking Alan Brazil's gambling <laughs> site. And instead of, instead of fucking, instead of not using that five pounds for anything that might be incidental that week, uh, I started using that five pounds because I was like, I I can use this five pounds each day to try and win my way back. That's yeah. just how poisoned I was at that point. But mm-hmm. Five pounds was going to take me to what well, was probably the equivalent of thirty or forty grand worth of debt. Not debt, but all the money that I've had over the past like four years, yeah. like just thrown into gambling or something. So I still had to pay rent and go on holidays and stuff. I wasn't completely throwing all my money away. Yeah. I was using the gambling money and I was using other money. But I, uh, I, so I, five pounds every single day and I bought it. And at that point, I know I'm steadily heading towards my rock bottom. Because a few years, a few weeks prior to that, I'd, um, my girlfriend had went to the gym. And this was at night time. And I must have, I can't even remember what the bet is. And this is so true of anyone that has been in this position. You don't remember half of the bets. Mm-hmm. I mean, I bet on Christmas Day and I don't even know fucking what I was betting on. Is it like a, a stress thing where your brain's like, we need to just shut this off and don't remember this? Otherwise, it's just going to become too much. It's probably because it would be upwards of tens of thousands of bets I placed. Fuck. You know, I'd graduated to the casino at this point because it's more instant gratification. You go on blackjack, you can just get it. Yeah. And I don't mean that to be a trigger for anyone that's listening. It's not a good feeling. Mm -hmm. The instant gratification isn't a good feeling because it it always ends up in a dark uh, place. But I don't even know what I was gambling. I just know that I was losing money. Um, And I was heading towards that rock bottom a few weeks prior, as I mentioned. My girlfriend had left, I gambled on something and I went, fuck it, I can't live like this anymore, I just can't, I can't. So I'd run into the next room, I'd grab a belt, i tie it around my neck and i try and put it over the door. Uh, I maybe up there for about three or four seconds and I get myself down because apparently I'm really shit at killing suicide. <laughs> um, Glad I never stuck a fiver on you fucking carrying that one. I'd have lost my money. You yeah, don't mean... Don't, don't I don't mean to make light of something that's horrific and traumatic, but... I Life. think it's it's important, mate, and and I know that a lot of these um, conversations get emotional, real, real yeah. dark emotion. But it's not the type, it's not the type of character I am to take it to that yeah. place. But I remember thumping the floor and going, "I don't want to die, I don't want to die, I don't want to die," and that was a real cry for help. He didn't want to die; he just wanted that to stop. To- yeah, but I had no idea how to stop it. Yeah. And I at this point had. Got so drunk, right? And next day I had the worst hangover in the world where I thought I was actually going to die. But I was drinking straight <laughs> vodka all night. And Fuck. I can't remember how this happened, but I was just in a, in Maggie Mays and I turned around to my friend and I went, yep, so I've blown like fucking 30 grand in gambling. And he just looked at me with his eyes wide like, what? And I was uh-huh. like, Fuck, did I just say that to this cunt? I was, so I was clearly in a place where I needed to get this out. Yeah. Um, and he had been helping me a wee bit, but I hadn't, 
I hadn't really walked away from the gambling yet. And at this point as well, I was kind of trying to... I was I was kind of trying to educate myself more. I was reading like Kevin Twaddle's book. It's a guy called Justin Lacrum who did a really good uh, book. Kevin uh, Twaddle, is he a Scottish footballer, former footballer. Yeah, blew a million pounds of his wages on gambling. Whoa. It's an epidemic, man, the footballing world. Um, and this guy was a former soldier that also blew about a million pounds on online gambling. Mm. Uh, quite a similar story to mine, not the same amount of money. But I was reading that, but it wasn't. It wasn't enough to stop me. I was on a Facebook group as well that was quite depressing, mate. I'm still on it because I like to remind myself, but, you know, you're just seeing people every single day saying, I'm going to the casino, I'm going to the casino, I blew it all again, I'm depressed, and it's kind of just a little vicious circle. You're, like what we're touching on, you're getting that digital um, that digital support, but you're not getting that real-life human connection or idea that you could get better. So I'd been reaching out for support, and I tried to commit suicide once, a uh, really mm-hmm. shit attempt. And during this week, I just rinsed and, rinsed and repeated my full fucking modus operandi fucking for every day that I'd been living for the past four, uh, four or five years. Yeah. And that's how bad it is. I don't know if it was four or five years that I fucking gambled oh, for. That's mental. But he, uh, no, what I did was, I just fucking kept gambling down to my very, very last bit of money. Uh, I also remember I picked my girlfriend's sister and partner up from the... <laughs> I picked him up from fucking Central Station and I had like zero petrol in my motor. Oh. And I was playing proper petrol bingo and they were saying to me as I was going back, I was like, I'll oh, just see if I can push it. They're like, no, no, the petrol station's over there, just go. And I'm like, nah, nah, it's a wee game I'm playing. I'm going to see how far I can take it, it'll be fine. Uh-huh. And it was because I couldn't afford to put petrol in the fucking car and I'm trying to make this into a joke. And I'm shitting myself, mate, I'm shitting myself. It's fucking heavily embarrassing. And I, so the Friday, I get back to work, I finish my last fiver and I just go, right, I'm just going to kill myself tomorrow. I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm not going to fucking think about it. I'm, you know, and then I, I was like, try to be poetic about it. I was, you yeah. know, I was obsessed with Ian Curtis, you know, from Joy Division, yeah. the guy that uh, killed himself. So I figured what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to their songs and I'm going to read his autobiography again, the one that his wife wrote. Um, and I'm going to use that as inspiration to, you know, just fucking take it right to the edge. Um, and I spent the full day in a dark room. I don't even think I cried. See, when you made that decision, did you feel like a weight was off your shoulders and you thought, I, there is now no consequence of any of this anyway? I don't know, mate. I, I genuinely don't know because I don't think I was that that type of person because there was still a real real part of me that didn't want to die there was it was more the obstacle that was in front of me seemed insurmountable mm-hmm. I was never going to get like, by that point I was 15 grand in the red like proper that's debt down in paper yeah and I wasn't able to communicate that to other people other than that friend that I blotted it out to and that to me was an impossible task and I didn't have the balls to go to GA. That was in my head. Yeah. So how the fuck was I ever going to get out of this situation? You know, how the fuck was I ever going to turn around and say I can't buy a house or I can't go on this big fancy holiday or I, and which don't really matter. You know, they didn't matter, but it, there was things in my head that I knew were the yeah. next steps in life. And something that comes with the gambling addiction is you want immediacy. 
you don't have any patience. You want that's why you're gambling so much. You want to just win all that money and then fuck off. Um, so I just decided that today was going to be the day that I, I did it, and of course I didn't. But I just got myself into such a depressive mood. I had a few drinks and then I tried to do the belt round the neck again in the room, and I must have been up there for a wee bit longer. But it was like a fucking switch. I just went, I can't fucking do this, man. I mm-hmm. really can't kill myself. If I kill myself, then I'm going to fuck up so many other people's lives. It was such a selfish act, and that's probably the biggest motivator that took me to not wanting to do it. I, yeah. I could have accepted my own death because I fucked up my life and I couldn't see any way forward. I couldn't accept my girlfriend coming in and finding me. Oh. My mum having to hear that. It's just, it's too fucked up. That's too fucked up. You imagine that? That'd be fucking horrible. Plus, who would have done the breakfast show on the Monday? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> As you heard before, I'm very, very good at it. <laughs> but, no, but it's, it's traumatic to hear, to be honest. Aye, but it, do you know what? It, it is traumatic to hear, but... It must be traumatic to relive or to re-go over. It is, mate, it is, but... <laughs> I'm, I'm still here. I'm trying to look at it life yeah. a wee bit more positively. And that, that switch, and it's, it's something that someone said to uh, me recently. They went, just hang on. Just hang on. Yeah. And that switch allowed me to hang on. And what I hung on to was the respect and love I have for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, let's not give them something um, to cry about. It's not really fair. When... Like I think about this quite a lot when people take their lives over things like that, and I'm just going to kind of gather my thoughts. I get my train of thought right here, but people will get stressed out to the point where they're trying to take their lives because of these pieces of paper that they owe people. You, you owe people these digital numbers on a screen, and they say, "Well, you you know, owe us this, and we can legally enforce it." But and if you take a step back, right back in time. Two or three hundred years ago, these things didn't exist, and people have been around a lot longer than that. So it's a man-made construct. It's like if I, and I know we have to play the game, right? This is the system that we're in. We have to play the game, and, and we are part of it. And you're kind of duty bound to, if you know, if you, if you take the plus points, if you take the money, and you get what it, then you, you kind of owe that back out. That's right. That's fine. But that is not the measure of a person. You know, that's not the measure of your decency or the connections you have with people or what you bring to other people's lives or how much people rely on you or how much people enjoy being around you or the good things that you've done or the things that you enjoy in life, whether it's the sun on your skin or whether it's, I don't know, whatever you like to get up to. I'm saying that's pure uh, Freudian slip there when I'm talking about sun on your skin and how much I just love being in the sun. Um, but, you know, a few hundred years ago, these things didn't exist. So let's just say I construct another one. And I'm like, all right, you now, know, you now owe me 100 rumbly bumblies and I'm going to take you to court if you don't give me it. And you're going to kill yourself over because you owe me 100 rumbly, rumbly bumblies. It's just I've had made up fucking thing. So no bad name for a currency, though, Do you know where I got it for? It sounds very Rick and Morty. No, it's uh, seeing uh, chewing the fat when Harry and Linda are playing Scrabble. And uh, they're playing, and she's like, "What? What? What have you got?" And she's like, "Remember?" And then he's like, "He's like, what's remember?" And she goes, "I don't know, but I know it's a word." And he's like, "Oh, how? How do you say that? Where's the rumbly bumbly? Oh, it's in the diddly do." Like he's proper me too, isn't he? <laughs> hey, hey, Harry. Yeah, he, by the way, if under the new fucking domestic abuse laws, he'd be doing twenty five years oh, without totally. chance, without chance of parole. He would have to go under <laughs> severe rehabilitation program. And his, any, his wife would be bagging his best mate. Well, the sure, best time in the world. Sure, 
was, if you remember at the Hogmanay party, they ended up kissing. Oh, aye, aye. Good for if, any, if anybody's listening, we're talking about a really famous uh, Scottish um, sketch show. You can, get, the you can get it on Netflix as well. Yes, you can get it on Netflix. Greg Kempill, you, you owe me a fiver, and James. I owe you a fiver? No, no, no. He owes both of us a fiver each because we just punted his show. That's good. I don't know if I'm allowed to take a fiver off someone. Really? Right, I'll take a tenner. <laughs> the, the point I would, I, to go back to it is it's such like it's just a shame because it's not really a real thing like see when you die That's people that. aren't going to be like oh well do you know what he came through for me in my time I need or he came and picked me he did all these self he, like, he did things that were you know that mm-hmm. impacted in people's lives I but he had 15 grand a debt he gives a fuck man I know and it does impact your life because it is a real thing you know it can prevent you from doing certain things within this system whether it's buying a house or, or whatever but there has to be a separation of what is this just fucking digital made up thing um, you can declare yourself bankrupt it's not the most positive thing in the mm-hmm. world but I, do I, it. I worked in uh, f- before I moved to Barcelona I worked in financial insolvency and I he- kind of headed up the personal department and it's under Scottish law it's different in England they've got different names but they're technically the same thing so you can carry out like a self-imposed sequestration which is bankruptcy mm-hmm. where you know have its um longer term impacts on credit rating and that kind of thing or you can apply for a debt arrangement scheme does which is the arrangement to pay back all of your debt at a, a rate that you can afford each month and what happens is they will assess your incomings and your assets against your outgoings and they'll write to your creditors on your behalf. You no longer need to deal with these creditors uh, because the company will do it on your behalf and they'll say, look, this person's now got a debt arrangement scheme. You cannot contact them anymore, harass them. You know, they're like, what are you fucking do? They're selling, pal. So going to just leave it out. Here's what we'll pay. You'll get your full amount back, but it's going to take... X amount of time, or um, you can get a oh, fuck. Who's the other one? I trusted exactly, when and you, you can still live as well. It's not like I, you're going to take all your money every single month. So that's the thing. Um, so with the trusted, they will write off a certain amount of the debt, but you have to pay it back within a shorter period of time. So they basically go back to your creditors and go and and see. And because I used to carry out these assessment things of people's incomes, and I'd be like, right, what do you pay on? Or here, there was limits and guidelines based on how many people's in your family, how many dependents you had, and also your kind of standard of living. So mortgage, right? What's your mortgage? Um, car. They might ask you. Nah, I'm not getting to that. I don't think they'd ask you to downgrade. To be honest, then they'd be like, look, three hundred pound or two hundred pound a month for entertainment because you need to live. Exactly. You need to go to the pictures. You need to go for food. That it'll need be fulfillment. Like, aye, and then it'll be like, um, here's a amount for fuel. Here's for bills, here's for clothes, here's for uh, your shopping, and then it'll go, right, you've got uh, £300 a month left, so you're going to write to your creditors and go, like, fucking take it or leave it, it's under the law, it's, you know, it's a legal, it's a legal thing, you can, uh, I would advise, if you are having any of these sort of mad money issues, go to Money Advice Service called MAV, um, and that's independent, free and impartial financial advice. Um, if anybody... I don't want to just kind of cut you off at that point, but just while we're here, Gamblers Anonymous, like, what's the script for that? Can you just Google that? Aye, aye. So, I I was Googling it, and the Gamblers Anonymous have got an amazing website, right? Uh, it's GA Scotland. They've got someone on hand to talk to you there and then uh, online. They've also got someone to talk to you on the phone if you need them. Mm-hmm. I didn't utilise those services at the time, but... 
after the Saturday, I I was lucky enough to live like just right up the street. Uh, right up the street from me was a, a meeting in Deniston. I was bricking it, man, but I decided if I'm going to fucking get out of this Aye. and I've decided that I'm going to live, um, I need to go and get the proper help because everything that I was reading, whether it be those books or that Facebook group, says GA saved my life. Yeah. And it's the biggest, biggest thing that's resonated with me in my life. Um, cause I, I walked into GA and I'll say this to anyone struggling because these are, these are the people I'm talking to. Um, and I'm, I'm more than happy to talk to anyone, um, that wants to, that listens to this. But I, I was worried, man. I was real worried that I was going to walk into a room full of down and outs. Yeah. And I was going to have to look at myself and say, this is me. Uh, as crass as that sounds, cause, you know, you already feel honest. like a monster anyway, yeah. but I still wouldn't have categorized myself as the guys that I seen going to the bookies when I was, you know, younger. I walked into that. GA meeting on a Tuesday real fucking intimidated and there was just this big tall good looking guy with a tie on and that's it with a big smile on his face like Hi. hey how you doing nice to meet you yeah and they do these amazing little meetings called beginners meetings at the start because the the big one can be intimidating and it was just six to eight people women and men around this little table and they open up with a like they open up with a, a mantra. It's not to make it sound cult or anything, but they like so a wee section of the book they'll read out, and then they'll ask what that means to everyone around the table. You know, mm-hmm. what what do you take from that? And I don't want to, you don't want to divulge too much about G because yeah. it is a, it's anonymous. <coughs> excuse me, but they then allow people to talk and see what's on their mind. How are you doing this week? Mm-hmm. And I was shite myself. But a big man just put his arm like round my shoulder and went, right, what's happening? How are you? Mm-hmm. And for 20 minutes, they allowed me to spill my guts. And then the next 20 minutes, every one of them just made me feel so fucking good. Yeah. Because they kept saying, I can identify with that. I get where you're coming from. That is my story, a part yeah. of it. And all of a sudden, I don't feel isolated in the world anymore. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, th- there's happiness again. And... Then, did you walk out like last night to G? <laughs> <laughs> Almost, mate. I didn't. I tried to walk out and they were like, listen, son, I think you'd be best served if you stay for the main meeting. <laughs> and then 30 cunts walked in. I swear to God, this week all just turned into fucking, like, a nightclub. There was 30 people walking in and they all knew each other. It was like a real proper community. Yeah. And they're like, how you doing? Nice to see you. They were all coming up and saying, oh, nice to see you. Um, what's your name? They're just being really nice. Then I spoke to the full group, told my story, like I just told there. Um, probably missing a lot of this out as well but every single person in that room made me feel validated as a person again because not only was I identifying with them they were giving me um, experience, strength and hope from their journeys because there was people in there that haven't had a bet for 20 years that Mm -hmm. have tried to commit suicide 20 years ago and they understand the disease that is gambling and I I walked out that night with about five people's numbers, a sense of elation that I hadn't felt for five years, knowing that I could tackle this fucking disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a responsibility to myself and them to get to another meeting like the next night. And 
it was it was amazing, mate. It was it was probably one of the best feelings of my life. But I was still scared because I knew I had to tell people. Yeah. I had to tell people. That's one of the biggest uh, tasks that anybody that decides to go to GA um, pr- probably faces thereafter because you're confronted with yourself for the mm-hmm. first time you know you've fucking escaped for so long in the world of gambling then you need to look intrinsically inside at who you are and part of that is telling other people who you are so I remember going to Newcastle the next day and I sent I'd left my whatsapp group with my mates and I just sent the guy that I'd uh, guy that I told drunkenly a few weeks ago I sent him a big message saying can you send it to the boys and then and this is where the dark comedy comes in and that's why I, I don't want to make light of a, a suicide situation because, you know, I went on websites to Google how to commit suicide and the best methods and all that so I was in a real fucking dark place but all of them were just making jokes. I wasn't in the group you but need, were, you need that they, you, you need the dark comedy in it because right. it's not going to you're not just going to wall you need your mates to pull you up by being your fucking mates not by going oh you're right you need a hug you That's need it. a hug some point but you need your fucking mates to be your mates I, you need you know I, I feel as if guys especially in this part of the world anyway we know when somebody needs a hug and we know when somebody needs slapped down a wee bit mm-hmm. like kind of sl- metaphorically slapped about um, just like a sort of we don't care like we're laughing at it uh, we're, we're laughing at it you're still don't, on mate I don't think we're looking at you any differently or we're like oh don't say that in front of him aye that's it and that sense of normalcy really helped me um, I didn't jump back into that whatsapp group straight away but aye. none of them messaged me going yeah mate just heard like they, they didn't sympathise they didn't throw hundreds of sympathy at me uh, which I didn't need at that point because I was getting identification from people I just needed yeah. my mates to be my mates and it was brilliant because I went to another meeting on the Friday I just met so many good fucking people then I went to on that Friday night the guys went you're coming to a meeting with us tomorrow and mm-hmm. we're taking you for breakfast and I was in a guy in Shelston's house at fucking nine in the morning next day with three strangers and his wife and him are cooking me a fry up oh, and I'm brilliant. just like this time last week I was deciding to kill myself mm-hmm. and the fucking change man oh, that had happened in that period of time was mental and GA helped me so much for uh, so long. Like, what I take for that, because I've always wondered, like, my mate goes to Alcoholics Anonymous, somebody got in touch with me a while back to apologise for behaviour and say, and he was like, I'm at Cocaine Anonymous, uh, and, and somebody else I know went to Gamblers Anonymous, so he, a guy got in touch with me recently, off the bite of gambling episode previously, just to say, his thoughts on it basically and he said that he goes to Gamblers Anonymous and he's like I've not gambled for ages and he'd kind of decided as well he was going to end his life mm-hmm. and he listened to the listened to the episode and he thought um, do you know what I'm not going to um, and he said that he's not gambled for ages but that Gamblers Anonymous is now a priority for him he said if you were really ill and someone said I'll give you a tablet and you take it once a week and you won't be ill anymore or you can you can keep like a lid on it you can keep it under control would you take it and I said yes and he went well that's that's Gamblers Anonymous for me it's such a great thing what it's done but you're saying that you felt isolated you felt you were the only one you felt like a horrible person I mean those last two aren't true you weren't the only one you weren't horrible and you just you know you're internalising it and and when you say something and somebody goes oh I I feel the same I or or, I I had that and you look at them you're like you're happy You've kind of getting past this. Yeah. What a, fucking, what a brilliant initiative. That's, that's the weight, you know, the weight that you, you'd said 
could have came off my shoulders when I decided to end my life because that was like nothing mm-hmm. else could affect me. That was the weight that came off my shoulders as soon as someone said that to me. So there's there's like seven day what day day one you're sitting listening to depressing tunes, boozing and thinking I'm going to you're googling ways to end your life and seven days later and you're in this guy's house in Shettleston you're getting a fry up. I actually muttered I love fry ups <laughs> when you were talking about that. It was fucking amazing. Aye right? and and that just shows right seven days life can totally turn around. But what has to first happen, and this is a point I've made a couple of times, but I'm trying to find the best way to make it, is that as much as there's help when we need to ask for help and do these things, personal responsibility has to become one of, be one of the first things that takes the most prevalence or prominence. You took personal responsibility and you went to your meeting and then they, before you know it, you're sitting having a laugh with these people and you're like looking at them as this example of how things will get better and you're like actually do you know what I'm feeling I'm feeling a lot brighter but you had you first have to take that personal responsibility so I'm speaking directly to anybody who's listening who's re- a lot of this stories resonate with them you're identifying with a lot of it you, you'll be fine man I swear you'll be fine but you need to take the first step whether it's going to the meeting google it speaking to somebody and I understand see that feeling of having to go in my example would be if I have to go through to the living room to Jen and like Jen I've eaten all your chocolate. Like, I've tanned a lot. <laughs> no, there's none. There's not even a tiny bit. It's left. been a shady two weeks for you, mate. Aye, I'm like, the rappers in the I did it all the time. I'm like the rappers in the bin. It's gone. But I've got a problem. So you can't really see it. Like I, I, I like sweets and I can't resist it. Um, did, like, did you feel as if when because you'd had that experience with GA and you were able to go to people and say, look, it's a bit of a disease. It's not that I'm like just willingly being destructive. Did that make that easier for you to speak to people? It made, I mean, most of my communication was, um, when you're in GA, it's easier to speak to the guys that you identify with and the women that you identify with, yeah. but it was still difficult. Like I said, I sent a message via another person. Then I I think I sent a message to Chloe, and I, I said I need to speak to you in your back, and it worried her. Oh, it's a shame, isn't um, it? She thinks she's getting So she kind of, and... like, through digital conversation, I... You know, I ended up telling her that way because she right. wasn't finishing work for a while and yeah. it wasn't fair. Um, and I think that was because it was a Friday and I wanted to go to a meeting that night and I was scared to say that I'm going out tonight mm-hmm. uh, to a meeting, so I had to say that. Um, and then it was difficult to really look her in the eye and talk properly about Aye. it. And she said, I actually told her I was going to do this podcast um, about gambling. I told her I was going to do it on my podcast as well. And she said that you've never really told me the full story and mm. it's probably harder to tell her the full story um, so close to you and I, I because then that's when I'm having a laugh here mate and I understand the severity of what I went through but I, I suppose the the guilt would bubble up a lot more mm-hmm. because I am so far back in my life the financially from where I should be and I'm not proud of that uh, I had a disease though so I need to take ownership of that as mm-hmm. well so there's a lot of uh, juxtaposed, uh, juxtaposed thoughts in my head yeah. where I'm like fuck you're still paying debt and it'll be a good year or so before you like, get it all down and you know you can't just surprise her with a really nice holiday because you've worked hard to do that and you can't you know like I don't want to get into certain stuff but there's financial implications to you not um, well you gambling versus what you can offer in a relationship and stuff mm-hmm. like that so it was difficult to 
tell Chloe and it's it's not something you want to sit down and have a glass of wine and revisit as well yeah. <laughs> when you're in a relationship you're trying to push ahead but I I wasn't really open as much as I am now about it for a good year and mm. I was still trying to collect my thoughts there's a lot of work that yeah. goes in as soon as you walk through those rooms there's a very big high that comes as soon as you're in there then you just need to start the work you need to start looking at yourself you need to start sharing more you need to start getting a sponsor you need to start keeping on the phone and stuff like that getting a sponsor what's a sponsor is that like somebody that coaches you someone that you um, phone on a regular basis in contact absolutely or kayaking or something (laughs) sponsor kayak (laughs) gotta send me away for an adventure (laughs) (laughs) if only but nah it's just somebody that's there personally responsible for um, your well-being and you know, you could be a sponsor of someone else. Are you a sponsor of somebody else? Are you not at that stage yet? I'm not in GA anymore. Oh, so I'm, I'm, I'm probably the point where I, I know that I, I should have stayed in GA. Yeah. But I didn't. I didn't. I, I missed it for a few weeks and then I decided to go a different direction. And I'm two years off a of bet now, so I'm, mm. I'm happy that I'm at that place. But I'd, I'd say that a lot of character work. Um, it's something that I could still do. I could go back to GA and do the 12 steps and become a better person. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it scares me. It scares me. I think that I've got a handle on my addiction when it comes to not wanting to gamble anymore. The biggest thing that GA would have offered me thereafter would be that real character development work to, you know, build the blocks to be the most, uh, or the best person I can be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not proud of the fact that I'm not in GA anymore. But I'm proud of the fact that I'm two years off of it. Aye, no, no, I would say that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't look into that too much. You know, you're doing it again. I wouldn't see anybody. Ah, if you think you're all right, then just chuck it. It's working for you, but for others, I would. By the sounds of it, I'd be like, keep going to that. It sounds like a good thing. Aye, and do you know what? See, if I went home tonight and I thought I'm going to place a bet, the first thing I'd do is phone someone that I was in GA with and then go back to a meeting tomorrow and I'd fucking accept the fact that I need to be here for life. Um, and Can that's you- it. Can you still play Monopoly? <laughs> I've not played Monopoly. Because it's not really gambling, but it kind of is. Because you need to buy all your houses and your hotels and all that. I think you can do it if it's paper money. But hmm. and that, here's some things I can't do. I can't put on a lottery. Really? I can't enter a radio competition. I can't... Um, How, I understand, right? But that's mad, isn't it? Because it's like, you're just giving your name. But is it the thrill of, will I win, will I not? And well, if you win, then you black fuck Some it. competitions cost money, don't they? Like right. one pound and stuff like right, that. Aye. Remember cycling past uh, somebody uh, down the street, just in Glasgow there, um, and they asked me, could I um, take part in like a, do you know those little football, the, the equivalent of the football cards? Yeah. And they said, it's only a pound. And I turned around and went, mate, I'm a gambling addict. I can't do that. Like, right. There's these simple things that Start I can't get involved shoot. in because they they can hey, be I'm a trigger. Do what you know, it's a it's a gateway. Here, everybody, he's trying to get me back on the gambling. Um, but I so there's there's a lot of things you're not allowed to do, and mm. there's a lot of things that they those rules gives you a chance to yeah. really fucking do in life thereafter. I feel like in this this episode, um, we have. Really get into detail in terms of the emotions and what you'd felt and, you know, what happened from just a practical, literal sense. Um, you know, went through what Gamblers Anonymous can offer. We even went through viable legal financial solutions for, for people that are drowning and, and that gambling debt. They have covered a lot. I think the main thing, like, I'm so impressed by you, by how, how much ownership you've taken of it, how much honesty, how much you've dealt with it. Um, it's, it's, 
inspirational and it's something that can be transferred in other ways like to, to take something like that head on and to to come out the other side of it because you're I'd, you know you might say there's still things that you're dealing with but you're probably no far off being out the other side of it and it's a, a valuable life lesson well hopefully not mate and that's it I'm not always this positive you know probably because I drank a tea and a coffee mixed before this <laughs> and Wait, I do what, in one? Aye, because I like coffee, but sometimes I don't like the taste, so I'll stick a tea bag in that kind of masks it. should call it a toffee. Toffee, aye. That's, <laughs> my mate Shane calls them them. Um, so, by no means do I, do I not have dark days. You know, if you'd yeah. have caught me on a bad day in this episode, because I sounded a lot different. Yeah. Um, but I, I try and stay positive with my addiction, take ownership of it, try and help as many people as possible. And I'll urge you, I actually got a message on Saturday night from someone saying gambling is shite in it, and I've reached out to them three times there after and I know that they must be in a dark place right now mm-hmm. and I'm ready to just have a conversation with them right now uh, if they're there or anyone um, by no means am I the expert that will solve all their problems but I'm I'm more than happy to take a phone call and go to a meeting if they need somebody there yeah. to help them get back in I would direct you to flick chat the thing that I always go on about um, if you listen you would like to talk to other people because flick chat is basically an app and they got in touch with me and were like, do you want to use this? It's quite cool. And it's like a it's like a forum in real time. Uh, and you can create topics. And we've got some in there. We've got ones for different episodes. We've got ones where you kind of just get a laugh and talk about stuff. There's now about 175 people on it, which is quite mad because it only started recently. And it's all people who want to talk about certain things. So we've got ones for gambling. And people can connect to each other Um in private or they can talk about things in public so if you wanted to join that or to have a wee look on that and then absolutely people will be able to get you there because it's um it's a way to centralize everything because you know what it's like you miss messages sometimes i miss messages all the time too many platforms mate i exactly i know and uh, i can't keep up with them so flick chat's a good place to to centralize it so that's a good place to to come in Uh, and i'll start the conversation see if anybody wants to have a chat we can kind of take that for there um any parts that we've missed um, I did write some stuff down. I'll check to see. He's brought a notepad. How? That's you're just a pure radio producer, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, this has got a lot of stuff in it. Do you know what, mate? We probably have missed loads of stuff um, from my story because I jumped in and out yeah. of it. But yeah, I couldn't tell you the we whole. Covered you know, the, we covered. We covered. Yeah, we covered the depths of the the despair. Um, and, I think that's what people really will relate with. Yeah, and the, the last thing I'd say is, you know, hang in there and don't feel isolated, don't feel horrible like a monster. Don't let gambling beat you. You know, there's hopefully, there's an epidemic out there right now. And the more people that talk about it and showcase the fact yeah. that you can get better, and the unfortunate thing about Gambles Anonymous is it's Gambles Anonymous. Yeah. They're not allowed to publicly PR the fact that they're there, despite the fact that there's gambling adverts on every single fucking wow. football game. Is um, that for their own ethos, not for any regulations imposed by it's law? It's their own, yeah. Right, okay. um, because it is anonymous, you really? you know, you might stumble upon it, you're not meant to force someone into Gambles Anonymous, like you said, they have to make that uh, choice themselves, they have to take responsibility for their own actions and what they do in their life, and that's what Gambles Anonymous is there, to welcome people that are ready yeah. to go into it. You start PRing it, then people might not 
do that. You yeah. know, there's a lot of people that come for one day and then you never see them again. Yeah. People like me, there's folk out there right now that wonder whether I went back to life of gambling because I never went back and I never really said it to anyone that I wasn't coming back. So said a lot here. I bet you a fiver he's a way back to <laughs> <laughs> you, you, Yeah, they probably begged me since I walked in that he won't last long. I lasted like nine nah, months. But somebody's like, I will, I'll give you forty one that he will <laughs> <laughs> Then they're right back in the bookies. But aye, listen man, it's not Ask me two years ago having this conversation yeah. when I was uh, or two years and one month ago I would have been so fucking dark so dark man but two years on I'm chipping away at my day I'm moving on my life I've got a fucking cat I've got a house cat called Tam cat called Tam Tam the Tim <laughs> <laughs> don't tell my girlfriend that she's a Kelly fan um, so you know it does get better if you want to take that step and I'd say that for any addiction, you know, it's fucking... Uh-huh. The facts are, no matter how bad it is, the help is there from Definitely. both a personal, interpersonal level and a legal standpoint, as we discussed with the thing me. So straight away, that should be a, hopefully a burden off your shoulders. You're not the only one. And the final word I would like to end upon, first of all, saying thanks very much for this, mate. I, I really appreciate you opening up as much as you did. Cheers, man. Appreciate and it. second of all, The comeback is always bigger than the setback. (laughs) Yes, it is. See you next time.